Well, good morning, South Valley Community Church. We are taking a break from our normal encounter series and doing something special today. Today is going to be Communion Sunday. And if you are a regular attender of South Valley, you know that we regularly take communion. And since the shelter in place has happened, we've, we've stopped doing that. And I want to talk a little bit about why we stopped taking communion and why we're going to finally take communion. Uh, just another quick reminder, if, if you don't have the elements before you, you can run and go, run and go get those right now. Um, juice, bread, cracker, Take what you have. We'll be talking about the meaning and significance in a moment, but just go ahead and get that if you need to. Uh, I'd like to talk about why we, we stopped for the shelter in place and why we're finally getting back into the swing of things with communion. And to do so, I want to take us to a passage in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians written by Paul the Apostle to Christians who are in Corinth. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Okay, first, when you come together as a church is Paul's language. We know that church isn't a building, it's the people. However, it's important that the people gather at some location. So Paul says, okay, in the first place, when we're going to talk about communion, when you gather together as a church. Secondly, he's heard that there's been divisions among the people regarding communion, which is fascinating because communion is the meal of unity. Communion is where we put aside our differences. There's neither male nor female, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, rich, poor. We come together and center ourselves on our King, King Jesus. But in the very meal of unity, somehow there is divisions. Later on, Paul says, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. And then when you come together, it will not be for your judgment. Okay, let me paint the historical setting. In Corinth, the Christians are gathering together for a communion meal. However, some people are getting there before others. They're getting to the meal early. And there are some people who are getting there late. And what's taking place is some people are eating up all the food ahead of time so that there's either not leftovers or what's leftovers is is the bad stuff. Uh, And so there's divisions among the people. For the early church, uh, the setting was much smaller. So it wasn't just a small piece of bread and a little cup. It It was a meal. Communion was a meal that you shared. So there's an issue with people eating communion at different times. Secondly, and more importantly than that, there's a rift of classism that has snuck in. So why is it that some people can come to the communion meal early and others are coming there later? We can't be certain, but most likely it's those who are rich and wealthy and have leisure time who can show up early and, by the way, bring the best food to share in this communion meal. It's the people who have to work all day, maybe slaves, who come at the end of the day to celebrate this communion meal. So essentially what's happening is you have people showing up at different times, it's not organized, and the people who get there early, most likely the rich and wealthy, are getting to have the best food, and then there's just the leftovers or maybe not any at all for those who come late. And Paul says, look, this isn't about getting full. If you're hungry, you eat at home. When you come together, 
we come together in unity and harmony, and we have this meal together. Now, the reason why this is so important and so significant for us is that Christianity is a religion that is communal and embodied. It is not individualistic, and it is not disembodied or digital. What I mean by that is, at the heart of, of our faith is this communion meal where we come in person, in our bodies, and we gather together as a church and lay aside our differences and remember what Christ has done on our behalf. So it's a communal gathering, a centering on Jesus. It's not a disembodied digital experience. With that said, that is why we've been so hesitant to take communion. And truth be told, I pictured when the shelter in place started, I pictured the day when we would come back together and it would be this sort of huge celebration, almost like an Easter service, and we'd take communion together and it would just be this awesome over-the-top church experience. And I still, I still long for that. I, I want that to occur. But as we're deep into the shelter in place, I also know that we need to take communion. And I also know that God is a merciful God who sets up rules and parameters, but also in times of difficulty is a God that would give special allowance to maybe do something in a manner that is usually not prescribed. And so here's an example to maybe make, make some sense of that. When we baptize people, we baptize them in what we call full immersion. It's this idea that you're taking the person, they go all the way under the water, and they come out. And it's this kind of dunking full immersion baptism experience. Now, we have also had instances where people are on their deathbed, and they come to Jesus on their last day, and they are hooked up to machines, and there is no way that we can baptize them fully underwater. So what do we do? We, we don't say, oh, well, you can't get baptized, um, so we, sorry. No, we, we make special allowance in those certain situations, and maybe you pour water over someone's head because that's the only thing they can do in the moment. And church history is filled with kind of these special allowances. There's, there's debates about how do you baptize people when there's a drought? How do you baptize someone in the desert and there's no running water? Uh, there's one story of someone ba- being baptized with milk over their, over their head, and there's debates about does, does that count? And he, here's the point. The sacraments, communion and baptism, were made for us. We weren't made for them. They're for our benefit. And so as we've sheltered in place, I've wanted to do communion, what I would say is the right way, communally, together, corporately, as we gather as the church. But I also know that that hasn't been able to happen yet. And so what we are going to do is we're going to take communion uh, in a way that I wish we wouldn't have to. But I still believe communion is powerful. It is sacred. It is significant. And as we prepare ourselves, communion is a transcendent activity that draws us together. In our homes, we can still be unified under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this isn't the way I would have loved it, but it is what it is. And I believe God will honor this 
as we approach communion with the right hearts and the right spirit. Now, before we do this, I want to remind us exactly what we're doing when we take communion. Because it's often said that communion is it's just a symbol of, of Jesus' body and his blood. And yes, in a sense, we affirm that communion is a symbol, but I don't want to kind of haphazardly use the language, well, it's just a symbol, it's no big deal. Symbolism is a huge deal. A symbol stands in place of something. So when Jesus says, this is my body and this is my blood, and we say, we're saying that's symbolic, we're saying that that cup and the bread are standing in place of Jesus. This is important. It's, it symbols stand in place of something else. Let me give you a couple examples. So let's say a small child has a picture of his dad. He's got a picture of his dad. That, that picture is just an image. It's not really his dad. It's not really his father. It's standing in place of his father. Now let's say this young boy who has this picture of his father loses his father. His father dies. And then let's say a few years after that, this boy has another tragedy occur and the house that he lives in burns down. And the only thing that he's able to grab before he leaves everything he has is a picture of his dad. And that boy grows up and he cherishes that picture of his father. It's just a symbol. It's just an image. But it points to the greater reality of who his dad is. Now let's imagine this boy grows up and he's married and he has a family and he has kids. And one day he's at the end of his ropes. His marriage is falling apart. He loses his job. His kids are acting up. Everything in his life feels like it's falling apart. And he's ready to throw in the towel on his marriage, on being a father. He's just done. And then he goes into his room and he pulls out from the drawer a picture of his father. And he remembers his good father and how his good father would do anything to love mom and to love the kids. And so he looks at that picture and he says, I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to work on my marriage. I'm going to be a better father. I'll find another job. I'll find a way to provide. The picture, which is just a symbol, has inspired the person. It has done something to him. Symbols have the power to change you. Another example of a powerful symbol is when you think about when someone is lost in combat. Someone loses their life in combat. And if you've ever been to a soldier's funeral, you know that at, at the end they play taps and they fold the American flag and they hand it either to, a, to the wife, a widow, or to a mother, or to somebody who was close. But when they ha hand the American flag over to, let's say, the soldier's widow, they hand it over. That flag, in one sense, is just a flag. In another sense, it's much more than a flag because the flag is standing in place of the greater reality. The flag is standing in place of the country, our values, the people, the principles it was founded on, and someone laid down their life in order to protect those things, and those things are represented symbolically in the flag. And so the symbol is powerful. It is powerful. It is strong. 
So in one sense, it's, you could say, well, it's just a flag, but in another sense, it's much more than a flag. Or picture like a movie scene, and there's soldiers who are at the end of their, their rope. They're, the, there's buildings blown out all around them, and they're tired. They've lost brothers in the battle, and they're about ready to, to give up. It seems like they can't win the war. And as they're looking through the, ba- the, the battered buildings and the crumbling buildings, they see a citizen hold a flag out the window. And as they're faced with possible imminent death, they see someone holding out a symbol of hope, a flag, and a tear comes down the soldier's eyes and he gets up and he tells everyone else to get up and to, tells them we're going to finish this mission. Now you could picture that playing out in a movie. And it resonates with us because we know as human beings, symbols are very powerful. They stand in place of a greater reality. So when we take communion... We are saying that these elements, the bread and the cup, they are standing in place of what they signify, the body and blood of Jesus. This is why Paul says it like this, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Did you catch that? Whoever drinks of the cup and eats of the bread in an unworthy manner, what are they guilty of? They're not guilty concerning the bread and the cup. They're guilty concerning the body and the blood. You eat this in a manner inappropriately. You're not guilty concerning these elements. You're guilty concerning that which they point to, the greater reality that they stand in place of. So when we take communion, this is holy, sacred, significant, transcendent moments. And even though we're not together in the way that we ought to be or we'd like to be, we are still doing something very powerful. And I believe God blesses it and God is honored when we do this. Communion then is three things. Communion is a way to remember, it's a way to confess, and a way to pledge. So first, remember, what are we doing with communion? We are remembering Jesus' death, that he died on our behalf. And we do this regularly and consistently because we need to remember that, that the God of glory, the King of kings, died for us to save us. Secondly, communion is about confession. We go and we confess our sins. This is an important practice to do because essentially when you confess your sins before communion, it's like you're going back to when you first became a Christian. When you first became a Christian, you repented of your sins. You said, God, forgive me. I declare Jesus as Lord. You have died on the cross for me, for my sins. And when you confess before communion, it's like you're going back to that moment. It's like a renewal of your wedding vows. It's confessing again your sins before a king who is graciously waiting to forgive you. And so it's a way to go back. This is similar to baptism. Um, Baptism is a reenactment of your conversion experience. So in baptism, what do you do? You go down into the waters and you come up out of them. You are mimicking 
Christ dying and resurrecting because when you're forgiven of your sins, the scripture says it's like you are dying and coming to life in God. And so baptism is a reenactment of your salvation. Likewise, communion is this reenactment of our conversion experience where we confess our sins before God, who by grace through faith forgives. Thirdly, communion is a pledge. It's a pledge. We're going to see as, as we read the ending to the First Corinthians passage, when we do this, we are promising to proclaim the death of Jesus until he returns. It's a pledge. In school, when I was young, we'd, we'd stand up, put our hand over our heart, and we'd pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And we did that every single day. And you did it every single day because those habits are important. Remembering to pledge allegiance to something is something you do regularly and consistently. You don't just do it once and forget about it. Communion is where we pledge our allegiance to King Jesus. And so it's time where it's like, you stand up, you, you get the posture of respect because the symbols stand in place of the reality, and you pledge your allegiance to the King. So communion is, is doing three things, remembering, confessing, and pledging. And in a moment, I'm going to give you a couple minutes of silence to do those three things, to remember Christ's death to confess your sins to a king who is gracious and forgiving. And then after that, to pledge your allegiance, to say, I will serve you until you return. But the last note before we do that on communion is, 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 is this. Communion has a way of bringing past, present, and future together into one moment. It's like there's a gravitational pull to communion and things from the past and things from the forward rush forward into the present and, and they all sort of dance together. An illustration of, of how this works. Similar to a wedding day. When you get married, you have witnesses come together and you pledge in the present that you will be faithful till what? Till death do you part. You're in the present. You, you don't know what tomorrow holds. You, you, you don't know what's coming. But you're declaring in the present future faithfulness. I am saying now today that I will be faithful until death parts us. So it takes all those future events and brings them into the present. Communion, likewise, is something we do in the present. But what we're doing is two things. We're putting one foot in the past and the other foot to the future. In the past because we're remembering what Jesus Christ has done. In the present, today, now, we're remembering that Jesus died for us. But we are also going to the future because we are promising to proclaim his death until he returns. We're saying, Lord, we want to be faithful until we die or until you come back. So communion is a present activity with a foot in the past and a foot in the future, and it comes together in the two elements, in the bread and in the cup. So we remember things in the past and we long for something in the future. And this communion has a special significance because in another sense, we're remembering and longing church too. 
because we're remembering what it was like to gather together, to see our friends, our brothers and sisters in the faith, to hear each other's voices singing. We're remembering that and we're also simultaneously longing for the day when we can come back together and do it again. And so our experience is sort of like a mini microcosm of the much larger experience. Sometimes it gets difficult to trust God's faithfulness in the future. But when you're having difficulty with trusting in the future, you look to the past and you remember what God has done. You remember, you confess, and you pledge. So I'm going to give us two minutes to prepare our hearts, just in silence. And in these two minutes, what I want you to do is remember what Jesus has done for you. No matter who you are, where you're at, what you've done, what's in your past, what's in your future, you need to know right now in the present that the God of heaven and earth loves you more than you can ever fathom or understand. He left heaven to come to earth, to die on a Roman cross in order that you might know him, that you might be adopted into his family. You are more loved in this moment that you can ever understand. You are not alone. He is near. God is closer to you than the air in your lungs. He knows your name. He knows every hair on your head. That God is who we remember. And we go to him and we say, Lord, we're not perfect. Here, here's our sins, Lord. Forgive us. I know you're gracious. And then we continue to pledge our, fu- our future faithfulness to him. So take two minutes to do those three things. Remember, confess, pledge.
Paul the Apostle says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we remember what you've done for us at the cross. Lord, we confess our sins, for they are many. They are more than we are even aware of, but you know them all, and your grace covers them. And Lord, we pledge our allegiance to your Son. We pledge our allegiance to King Jesus. Help us to be faithful until we die or until you return. We give you thanks this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.